This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, 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 happy Easter, everybody. This has got to be the craziest Easter that any of us have ever experienced. I mean, for sure, in the 36 years that I have been born again, that I've been attending church, uh, I've never, ever been in an Easter service where we weren't actually in the congregation, in the church, celebrating together. That we're doing this via YouTube and Facebook is, is just got to be one of the craziest things in the world. And so I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of the whole quarantine thing and, and uh, you know, I'm sure that you are as well. Uh, I got an email today. It was so funny. It just, you know how, you know how parents, um, you've probably seen a lot of the memes. You've probably seen a lot of the, uh, the different things on, on, on the internet about, uh, you know, kids are at home. They're not in school. Parents are having to deal with kids. They're not used to de- dealing with their kids at home all day long and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, somebody sent me an email this morning with, uh, with some of these funny, th- funny lines. I just thought I'd share some with you. Um, these are homeschooling lines that some parents have posted. One parent said, homeschooling is going well. Two students suspended for fighting and one teacher fired for drinking on the job. <laughs> That's crazy. And then day five, here another person is enumerating the days of homeschooling. She says, day five of homeschooling, one of these little monsters called in a bomb threat. Day six of homeschooling, my child just said, I hope I don't, have to, I don't have the same teacher next year. And I don't know about you, but maybe this is exa- exactly what you're experiencing. You know, you're experiencing all of these crazy uh, new experiences b- because of this pandemic that we're living in. Foundations are being shaken. Hopelessness is, is at an all-time high. Fear is causing people to make some very irrational decisions. And in the middle of all of this, I am so thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very thing that we're celebrating today, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am so thankful for it. Because of the resurrection, I have hope. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Yes, I have concerns about the things that are going on, but my hope is solidly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I'm sure that is for you as well. We'll talk a little bit more about the resurrection in a second, but many of you know that we served many years in the country of Bangladesh, and, uh, and, and you, and, and when we were in Bangladesh, you know, we, 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 made friends with a lot of different people. You know, we were, we got close to some, some people, some individuals who, who for them to live out their faith was a very risky proposition. In fact, being water baptized sometimes was a question of life or death for them. People who, who literally, when they gave their life to Jesus Christ, they, they sacrificed everything. And oftentimes I would have these, these conversations with them and we'd talk with them and they would always ask me and wonder, why is it that, that all Americans are not Christians? Why is it all Americans don't attend church? And it was difficult to answer the question for them because, you know, I would try to explain to them how, you know, there's different beliefs and all that stuff. But here's how they felt. They felt that because in America there was so much freedom so much freedom for the gospel, so much freedom for choosing whatever you want, whatever path you want to path, whatever path you want to take. They would, they would, they would question why is it that people aren't choosing the, 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 to follow the resurrected Christ? They would, they were just confused by it, and they would often conclude with this this idea that it was likely that we had taken for granted the power, the, transform, the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how this message was a message of life change. 
There's a, there's a place in the Bible where Peter and John are two of the apostles. They are arrested, and they, when they were arrested, they were told, you can no longer preach in the name of Jesus anymore. They were just told, do not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Then they were released. Well, Peter and John, they didn't listen. They went right back to it, and they began to preach in the name of Jesus again. They are rearrested, and this time, this time they're told, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And then the Bible tells us that they were flogged. They were beaten for preaching in the name of Jesus. So these disciples are beaten because they are preaching the name of Christ. And how do you think they responded? I mean, this was, a, this was difficult times for them. How do you think they responded? Well, in Acts 5.41, it tells us how they responded. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Now, the Sanhedrin were like the 70 ruling elders of Israel, kind of like the Supreme Court of the United States. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Now, they just were beaten for their faith. They were just told they could not preach in the name of Jesus anymore, but they're rejoicing because they, they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then verse 42 says, <clears throat> day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is. They were told no longer preach in the name of Jesus. It says day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They just had this belief. They just told us, and listen, we can't help it. We have to. We have to talk about what Jesus has done in our lives. We can't help but talk about it. And so they talked about the resurrected Savior, the things that they had seen. They talked about the things that they had heard, the, 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 the teachings of Christ. And so as weeks passed, the church got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually there was this widespread persecution that broke out. And all these Jesus followers began to spread all over the Roman world. And they lived with this consciousness that to follow Jesus Christ could cost them their lives. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that in their mindset, what they were experiencing was a crisis? Do you think these were hard days for them? Absolutely. But they were not afraid. They didn't go around wondering, you know, what's going to happen. You see, this thing, of, this thing of, of suffering and challenge in our world is something that has happened throughout history. Pandemics have happened throughout history. Economic crisis has happened throughout history. Widespread persecution has happened throughout history. And what we find is that these disciples, these followers of Jesus, never stopped. Their hope was anchored in something. And that's really the question for us today. What is your hope anchored in? What is the solid rock of your life? And it's my belief. It's a firm, firm belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, three years pass after, after this persecution started. And there's this guy named Saul that comes on the scene. He's considered the chief uh, persecutor of the church. He's the one who's hunting Christians down. He's putting them in jail. He's, he's, he's putting them to death. And he has orders now to go to Damascus and arrest Christians in Damascus. He's on, his, on the road to Damascus to, to arrest these Christians when he has this vision and, and he, he has this encounter with Jesus Christ face to face. Now keep in mind that Jesus three years earlier had been crucified and buried. 
And so this was obviously a very miraculous experience that Saul experienced with, with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, listen, why are you persecuting me? Why are you going after me? At that moment, Saul is blinded and later on he ends up in Damascus and he's prayed for and he, and, and, and he gains his sight back. And when he gains his sight back, he becomes this sold out follower of Jesus Christ. Well, because he converts to Christ, because he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, what happens is the, the people who sent him with orders to, to arrest Christians are now angry at him and they want to arrest him. And so he escapes, you know, from Damascus and Saul kind of falls off the face of the earth for 12 years. These are 12 years of preparation for Saul. And so what we find is 12 years later, Saul reappears and he's in the city of Antioch. Historically speaking, when we're talking about the Bible, essentially, this is the beginning of what what would be called Paul's missionary journeys. Now, by this time, Saul has become Paul, the apostle. Many of us have heard of him. In fact, here's a map of this. This is uh, the Mediterranean Sea area. Currently, there are countries that we know. There's Syria. You see Syria. That's a present-day country. Israel is there. This right here where it says Asia, it's Asia Minor. This is what is current-day Turkey. This is Greece. These are all countries that we are familiar with. This is an area where Paul actually traveled in three big circles, basically, over the course of 10 or 12 years. He traveled in three big circles through this area, basically preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had had this encounter with Jesus on this Damascus road, and now he's telling all these people about this encounter that he had. And he would go to these different cities, and he would start these little churches called ecclesias. And he would talk to them, and he'd tell them about Jesus. He would first go to the synagogue. And then the synagogue, he would begin to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah to these Jewish people who were listening. Oftentimes, they didn't want to hear it, so they would kick him out. Sometimes they would arrest him. Sometimes they would beat him. When he would leave the synagogue, he would then go to the Gentiles and say, listen, you've got to hear what I have to say. God, the God of the universe, has finally answered the question of hopelessness in this world, of the lack of peace in this world. God has finally answered the question of how we can have a relationship with our heavenly father. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul did for for about 12 years. He traveled in three big circles, the three missionary journeys of Paul. And then in 58 AD, he's arrested in Jerusalem. And he's, he's put in prison, in jail, in Caesarea. He spends two years in jail in Caesarea. In fact, I've got a map here. While he's in... <clears throat> While he's in jail in Caesarea here, the Jewish leaders want to put him to death. And so, uh, so Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't try me. I want to be tried by Caesar. And so after appealing to his Roman citizenship, he then embarks on this very dangerous journey. He's, he's under arrest, but on this very dangerous journey from Caesarea all the way to Rome. In fact, it's so dangerous that the, the Bible tells us, and Acts, it tells us that, that they, they, they hit a storm and the ship sinks and they end up on the, on the island of Malta. And from there, they end up in Rome. Now, Paul goes to Rome and for two years he's in Rome, but he's not really like in prison. He's in house arrest waiting for trial to happen. While he's in house arrest, he begins to write letters to all of these churches that he had gone to where he had preached the gospel, started these little churches. He starts writing letters to them. He writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, for example. And today we know that letter as the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. He writes a letter to the, to the church in Philippi. Today we know that 
that letter as the book of Philippians in the New Testament. He writes a letter to, the Colo- to Colossae, and we know that as the letter to the Colossians as well. So he writes these letters. Most of what is the, the, the latter part of the New Testament are the letters that Paul wrote to all these churches that he visited. After two years in Rome, he's released. Um, he's, his, his accusers don't come for trial, so there's no trial, so he's released on his own. He goes and he continues on his, missionary, on his missionary journeys, and then he's rearrested in 66 A.D., now, I'll, I have a reason why I'm giving you these dates. You might be wondering, why are we talking about all these dates, Rich? Well, what I want you to understand is as we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about something, an event that happened in human history. That's why we're talking about it. So in 66 AD, he's arrested. This time, though, he is, he's sent to spend, a year, to spend a year and a half in a dungeon in Rome. Nero is the emperor at this time. Nero hated Christians. In fact, Nero had this plan to build his beautiful city in Rome, and, and he burnt part of the city down, and he blamed Christians for it, and this started this widespread persecution against Christians. Well, while Paul is in this dungeon, he writes a letter to, to Timothy, one of, his, one of his disciples, one of his pastors that he, that he raised up. Timothy is the pastor of a church in Ephesus. And he writes this letter. It's a letter, it's the second letter he wrote to me, Timothy. In the, in the New Testament, it's called 2 Timothy. And essentially, this is, this is Paul's farewell letter to Timothy. He's telling him, I'm ready to be poured out. I'm, I'm done. My life is over. And in fact, this is the very last letter that Paul would write. In 67 AD, in some probably early one morning, his prison doors open up. The guards take him in shackles out, and they begin to escort him to the outskirts of the city of Rome. Paul knows exactly what's happening There's no fanfare, there's no big crowd, it's just guards and maybe a few bystanders. Paul lays his head down on a chopping block and and on that day, Paul lost his life. Now, why am I saying all of this? Well, because sometimes the significance of it is that very, very bad things can happen to very good people. But it doesn't shake God, God is still on the throne pandemics can happen in our culture and God is not shaken by it. Things can happen in your life that are not related to to pandemics. God's not shaken by it. God is still on the throne. God is not rocked by these things. And this early church, they weren't rocked by it either. You would think that, well, after all of this, certainly Christianity would have just fallen apart. But instead, this fueled these churches. This was just the beginning of the impact of Paul's life. It fueled these churches. It fueled these early Christians. They began to preach the gospel all around the world, even if it cost them their life. It was Paul's boldness to time after time after time to get on a boat and to travel to one of those cities and preach the gospel in one of those cities. It was Paul's boldness and his courage to over and over again, despite the struggle, despite the suffering, despite the thing, to preach this liberating gospel of true freedom, of relationship with God. This was the beginning of a worldwide church. And it was because of Paul's boldness that you and I today, along with billions of other Christians around the world, are celebrating Easter, are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul... He wasn't only a missionary, he was also a very clear thinker. 
He was educated. And he was able to extrapolate out of the Jewish uh, scriptures and the Jewish culture and the Jewish way of living. He was able to extrapolate the essence of the gospel. He was able to, to translate it for you and I. See, we are not historically, traditionally Jewish. He was able to take the, these scriptures and basically translate it for you and I and give us an irreducible minimum of what the gospel is to explain it to us. So that you and I, 2,000 years later, could understand what it means to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father and what it takes, what we have to believe, what are the things that cause us to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is what he does. He, does it, he kind of explains it here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. He says, now brothers and sisters, he's writing to the Corinthians. Remember, these are, this is a Corinth, is a city that Paul went and he started this little ecclesia, this little church. He's writing to them. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. In other words, I want to remind you of the things that when I was there, I told you this is the gospel, okay? Which you received. In other words, they received the gospel, means they believed it. They took it on, and which is what I'm encouraging all of us listening right now to receive as well. We receive it. And on which you have taken your stand. Not only did you receive it, but in receiving it as a result of persecution or whatever else, you have, you have had to take your stand on that. You've had, to, you've had to decide, this is what I'm going to gonna hold on to. This is the hope that I have. In fact, this is the encouragement that I want to give you right now. Because there's a lot of fear going on. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of sense of hopelessness going on. There's a lot of joblessness going on. And maybe these words that the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Corinthians many years before, he's trying to tell you this morning. That you have this gospel. And on this gospel, you can take your stand. Then he tells us in verse 3. For what I received... Paul received it from God. He received it from other, other apostles. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Now, here's what you need to understand. What Paul is trying to say here to these Corinthians is that there's a lot of things that he knew. I mean, he taught about a lot of things. He taught about marriage and family. He taught about how to raise your children. He, taught, he, he told Timothy, hey, this, take this, eat, drink this so you, so to, for your stomach. He had a lot of knowledge. But he's now telling the Corinthians, but here's something I'm going to share with you. And this is of first importance. This is the most important thing that you need to understand. This is of first importance. He goes on. He says, that, this is what is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You got to understand that during the Roman era, hundreds of thousands of people were crucified. What was any different about Jesus? Hundreds of thousands of people were crucified. Many were crucified for crimes that they committed. Some were crucified for political things. Some were crucified just because they were being killed for no reason whatsoever. But Jesus was crucified as atonement for our sins. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, that's how we know he died, and it goes on. That he was raised on the third day. So Jesus died for our sins on this cross. He was buried in some borrowed tomb. And then it says three days later he was raised back to life again. He's alive. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. 
This is what Paul is saying is of first importance. And then he tells us in verse 6, he says, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Now, this is very important for us to understand. Why is Paul giving this detail? What is he trying to tell us with this detail here? What's he trying to say to you and I? What he's trying to say here is that there are, there's people out there that have seen this. 500 have seen this. You see, I think oftentimes when we start talking about the resurrection, I think what happens to us is that we, we uh, you know, even in, even in the church, people say, yeah, yeah, pastor, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for my sins on the cross. Yeah, he was raised back to life. And because it's so far removed, it almost sounds like the opening lines of a Star Wars movie. In a galaxy far, far away, there lived a man who, was, who died and then he was brought back to life again. And we kind of write it off as a fairy tale. But what Paul's doing here is he's trying to say that there is this, this thing that we believe. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's something that's rooted in human history. It actually happened. And there were 500 people. It wasn't like, you know, hey, I was walking through Walmart and I looked and there, oh, I think I saw Jesus. I think. I'm not sure. No. 500 people. Jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time, it says. They were eyewitnesses. And then he, then he kind of finishes with this verse. <clears throat> Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Paul wrote this around the year 55 AD. About 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul recognized, he recognized that he's talking to these Corinthians. They're kind of a sophisticated people, you know, and they think very intellectually, and he recognized that they, they may be struggling with this idea of the resurrection. And so he says to them, listen, there's 500 eyewitnesses out there, and guess what? Most of them are still alive. So if you don't believe me, if this is hard for you to believe, that Jesus died for our sins and that he was raised back to life again, if this is hard for you to believe, then you can buy yourself a boat ticket, go on down to Jerusalem, and interview a few of these, few of these people. They'll tell you they saw him with their own eyes. He brings us, in no uncertain terms, to the essence of the gospel. And that is that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Let me just personalize that. Christ died for your sins. Anybody here, anybody listening right now would say, yeah, I've, I've, I've sinned. Well, Jesus died for your sins. It says that he was buried. This is the essence of the gospel. He was buried. So after he died for our sins, he was actually put in this tomb, this borrowed tomb. And then he was raised. Three days after he died, he came back to life again. There's significance to that. The fact that Jesus came back to life again, the fact that he beat the grave the fact that he beats sin and the grave means that you and I, as we, as we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we too can beat sin and the grave. He was raised, and then it says he appeared. And this is essentially the essence of the gospel that, that Paul is trying to communicate to them, trying to let them know that this is, this is what your, your faith is found. This is of first importance. And he realizes that some of us may struggle with that, 
We may struggle with, with you know, uh, the, 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 the stuff that's in Scripture. We're not sure if we believe all of it. Like, you know, Paul, I know, but what about the seven, are they really seven days of literal creation? Seven literal days of creation? Is it really that? I mean, what about dinosaurs? You know, I've heard my professor in college, you know, told me in philosophy 101, said God doesn't exist because look at the dinosaurs. I mean, Paul, what about that? Paul said, yeah, yeah, we will talk about that, but this is what you need to know. This is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised back to life again, and that he appeared. Okay, Paul, but, you know, I was reading Revelation, and, man, there's just all these crazy stories in Revelation, these weird insects and these horse and, the, and fire and all of that and the world is coming to an end and I know and Paul's like yeah 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 I get it we will get to that but here's what you need to understand Christ died for our sins he was buried he was raised and he appeared and so essentially what Paul is telling us is that if you're gonna struggle with what the scriptures teach don't start with the peripherals don't start with pastor so-and-so offended my parents and that's become the, the, the basis of your belief. Start with this. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. And he appeared. And so the real challenge for you and me is have we embraced the essence of the gospel? Have we embraced the fact that Jesus died for my sins? that he was buried, that he was raised back to life again, and that he appeared. And if, you are, if you're a Christian today, if you've embraced that, then you understand, then you get it why Christ, there's people in China and in South America and in Russia and in India and here in the United States are all worshiping God all at the same time. We're all celebrating Easter. Why? Because we've embraced this, centra, this central theme of the gospel, that he died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared. And so the question is, have you ever embraced that? You know, I, <clears throat> I remember when I was 18 years old when I, when I uh, first came to this encounter. I remember I was a kind of a smart kid and good in school and studied hard and all of that. And I remember, uh, you know, Christians talking to me, and I always kind of rejected them. I remember being invited to church. My mom decided we were going to go to church. She took, she was a single mom. She had just, we had just immigrated from Panama, and, you know, I'm 18, and I have four younger brothers, and she just thought she was hopeless, and she needed hope, and so she went to this church service. I remember we had this church service, and I'm looking around at all these people worshiping and raising their hands, and a pastor up there, he just kind of like kept preaching and spitting and preaching and spitting, and I was all skeptical. I'd sit back and say, yeah, these people are a bunch of crazy lunatics. It's weird stuff. I just couldn't believe half the things that they would say. And I remember one Wednesday night, though, I was in, I'd gone to this church service, and to be honest with you, I was going to this church service not because... I was interested in knowing all about what was going on in church. I was just interested in the girls that were going to church. <laughs> so I was on a Wednesday night, and the pastor began to talk about this very theme. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised back to life again. And he appeared. I can't tell you, I don't understand what happened. All I know is that I was confronted with the question, do you believe from Jesus, do you believe that I died for your sins? I was looking at my own life and I realized that my life was empty. I realized that there was sin. My life was racked with sin. 
I had a drug problem. I had, I had you know, uh, sex addiction problem. I had all these other things going on in my life. And I was hearing God say, do you believe that I died for your sins? Do you believe that I came back to life again so that you could have life, so you don't have to live bound by those sins? I remember that Wednesday night, I was in church, and it was like I was, I don't know, I felt like the Holy Spirit was doing something. I didn't understand it. I was, a, I was new to church. I didn't know anything about this stuff. But I remember being there and just standing up, and I wanted to go ask the pastor a question. I had this smart aleck question I was going to ask him. I remember I was going to go and kind of challenge him with something, and I'm, I'm walking up towards the pastor, and as I got closer, it was like the Holy Spirit was doing something inside. As I got closer to the pastor, something was just welling up inside me. When I stood right in front of him, I just burst out in tears, and I said, Pastor, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I remember he... Brother Dubois put his arms around me and said, why don't you pray with me? And I prayed the sinner's prayer at that moment. And at that moment, I embraced this idea that Christ died for my sins. That I didn't have to try to pay for my sins. I didn't have to, Jesus paid for my sins. And that because he was alive, because he was raised back to life again, I can also have life. And honestly, as you're listening to me right now through, the, through YouTube or Facebook, my hope is that you can have that same hope, that same encounter. That you can embrace this idea that Paul gave his life for, that so many have given their lives for, that billions around the world believe. Christ died for my sins. He was buried. He was raised. And he appeared. In fact, I believe right now that he wants to appear right now where you are, whether it's your living room or your bedroom or you're at your dining table watching this he wants the Holy Spirit wants to come into that room if you've not embraced this idea and he wants you to basically surrender your heart to him just like I was when I was 18 years old and I was lost hopeless Jesus came into my life and gave me hope he wants to give you hope as well and all, I, all you have to do is just simply pray so what I'd like to do is I'd like, to, like you to pray with me I want to pray for you and and what I want you to do is just because this is difficult, you know, I can't invite you up here to pray. What I'd like you to do is if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never surrendered your heart to him, would you do me a favor? Right where you're sitting right now, just put your hand over your heart. And then I want you to just agree with the prayer. I'm about to pray for you, and I want you to agree with. And you know what? I know we're far away. I know we're doing this through a camera. But the Holy Spirit can be exactly where you are right now. He can meet you right there. He can appear to you right where you are right now. And so I'm going to pray, and as I pray, you disagree with me, all right? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago on that cross. You gave your life. You died for our sins. You were sinless. You didn't have to go to the cross. We were the ones who deserved the cross, but you gave your life for us. And so right now, Father, I thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you that you came back to life again, and by get, coming back to life again, you have given me hope of a future. Right now, Father, those who are listening right now through the, through, or watching through, through the screen, Father, I pray that you will just infuse them with hope for their future, that you'll take away the fear the pandemic stuff that's, that's causing fear, God, you take all that away right now in Jesus' name and that, God, you would give hope 
that comes from this, the essence of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared. I thank you, Father. Right now, Jesus, we confess you as our Lord and our Savior. And we make the choice right now to follow you with all of our heart. We surrender our hearts to you, God. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to guide us, to teach us, to lead us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now today, if you gave your life to Christ, if you prayed that prayer with me and you did it sincerely, you just really want to start following Jesus, you recognize that you're a sinner, you recognize that you need forgiveness of sin, you recognize that you want a, a, a hope for the future, Will you communicate with us? We'd love to have a conversation with you. You can text us to 97000. You can text the word alive now. It's one word, alive now, to 97000. And just text us. Let us know that, that to, through the, you know, while you, while you were watching, you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We'd like to communicate with you. We'd like to continue to, to have this conversation.